0: Hello, and welcome to Down Country. This is an experiment, the first, I hope, in a series of podcasts about Aethan, a small island about 30 miles off the coast of Cornwall, where I live. I'm recording this at the hall, Athan Hall, the large manor farmhouse at the northern tip of the island. The wind is blowing, and I'm alone. But most of this I recorded on location, at the chapel, on the opposite end of Athel. A low-built, squat towered place that's never locked, and never visited. And because it's Halloween, I thought I'd start this series with a ghost story, of sorts. You might have seen the photo I posted, the one of Reverend Gould enjoying a picnic, with an uninvited guest. I found it in a small folio of sepia prints in the library and asked the housekeeper about it. She didn't speak, she doesn't usually, but took down a small volume from another shelf. It was a paperback called um, Haunted Rocks, A History of the Eighth Ghosts by Meliora Ray. Published in 1952, one shilling and sixpence. The cover is great, I'll publish it later. Anyway, I thought, if I were to tell you a story like this, a bit of atmosphere would help. So I went to the chapel a few nights ago, with the book, and read the story. I hope you enjoy it. It's called The Left Black Arm of the Devil. Okay, I hope this is recording. Um, I've made the walk from the hall. It's about five miles. I left at four, and it's... Uh six now, and dark. Really dark. Um, only the hall is inhabited any longer, so I'm on my own. Sorry about the wind, um, can't be helped. I'm just coming up on the chapel yard wall to the Lich Gate. <clears throat> uh, oh, the moon's come out, so I can see a little bit better. Uh, see the headstones. See the iron struts at their back to protect them from the wind. Ooh, it's cold. Right, here we go. <coughs> right, um, there. I um, I brought a lamp, an oil lamp, from the hall. Atmosphere again. Uh, Also, the bulbs keep blowing in my electric ones, so I just stop bothering. Um, I'm sat in the pew, the end carved with a weasel, I think. And I'm ignoring the creaks and groans of the empty old church. I'm alone, but not frightened. I can just see it from here. Hanging in the chantry is a withered black arm. Like a pub sign, swinging in the wind. Black chains and manacles grasping it tight, hanging it high. Swaying between the votive ships, beckoning you close. It's the focus of the story. I'll begin. Story has it that many years ago, when the chapel was young, it had a glorious copper spire. It caught the light in sun or storm, and counterbalanced the lighthouse at the other end of the island, a day mark for passing sailors. The reverend at the time, his name varies in the telling, we'll call him Gould, took great pride in its glory, in its majesty. It was so glorious, it caught the attention of a seafaring demon. Grounding his boat on the sands of the beach below the chapel, the demon climbed the narrow rocky path, and stepped over the stile set into the chapel wall. As he walked to the door, he whistled, and traced the tops of the tombstones with his fingers as he went. He knocked once, twice, three times, on the chapel door and waited. The Reverend Gould opened it, and looked at the devil that stood before him. On his head, a black tricorn hat trimmed with byssus, dredged from the sea. His face hung deep in the shadows of the brim, but his eyes still stared fiercely from the darkness. He had thick black hair, thick black whiskers, and a shadow of moustache above a leering mouth. He wore the outfit of a gentleman, but from many years past, faded, black, and hot to the touch. On his feet, thick ship's boots, stained with salt. Hello the demon said. I was sailing my boats and saw your beautiful church. May I come in? No, demon, said the reverend, for he was no stranger to them. You may not. And he closed the door in the demon's face. Making the sign of the cross, he waited in the dark and listened to the demon walking away down the chapel path, on through the lich gate. And as he went, the reverend thought. Those boots on the stones stand a lock like hooves. Clip-clop, clip-clop, and gone. The Reverend thought little more of it. On this island you got used to these things, and he went about his business. But that night, as he lay in his bed and stared at the moonlight through the lead-framed, diamond-paned, warped-glass window, he startled at a shadow. The shadow was tall and long, and loomed bent-backed across the room, netted in the shadows of the windowpane. And as the Reverend prayed, soft-voiced but hard, he heard the bone crunch crack as something breaking. Then again, and again, and again, and again, came the sound in the wind, and a laugh started, and the rain came. Then all at once, peace, quiet. Nothing but the moon and the clip-clop of hooves on stone then gone gone. And the reverend slept and dreamt of the dead. In the morning, with the sunrise, the reverend rose and went out into the day. He unbolted the door and, blinded by the daylight, stumbled into the chapel yard. As his eyes adjusted, he recoiled, grasping at the stone-carved arch of the door for support, the grotesque faces at the roofline staring down. Every headstone in the graveyard lay flat, broken at the base, all arranged in circles pointing in, and there, lounging in a litchgate gate with a clay pipe aglow, stood the demon, smiling. It was a terrible wind last night, Reverend. My little boat rocked hard against the rocks. I feared I would drown. But I looked up to your tower, shining beacon in the moonlight, and I was calmed. But I see the tempest reached you as well. A terrible mess, is it not? The reverend met the devil's gaze and made no sound of reply. He stood straighter and blocked the doorway with his puffed-out chest. Come now, priest. Can I not seek sanctuary with you tonight, safe under your copper spire? I could sleep in a pew, could I not? I can feel it, deep within. The storm that comes tonight will be worse. Who knows the damage that will be done? No, said the reverend, and he went back inside. The demon turned and walked whistling down the path. Very well, he said. Very well. Once he was sure that the demon had gone, and he was alone once again with his god, the reverend prayed. But there are many gods on Aether. Most men who held the reverend's post came to terms with that, eventually. The islanders certainly did. But Gould had not reconciled himself to this. Not yet. He hated looking out during his sermons, seeing the congregation muttering to themselves, fingering charms in pockets or strung about necks. As far as they were concerned, the chapel was a convenient place to worship, period. Who you spoke to was up to you. His predecessors had all learned eventually that it was best just to let it be. To ignore it was the best you could hope for. Fighting it brought danger some had even prayed to them themselves in the end to yama to bal to the other to the island even those that didn't believe hedged their bets pray to him first but then when you're done pray to them so when he asked for help that cold afternoon the reverend gould should have stayed kneeling but he stood after his prayer Confident that God, the only God, his God, would protect him. But the others, listening, heard the slight and decided to teach him a lesson. That night, as the demon walked up from his boat, moored still in the cove, rocking on the waves, he looked back to sea and saw three seals bobbing neck deep in the water one black, one white, one red. The demon smiled. And continued to the chapel. Reverend Gould sat waiting, stiff-backed on a pew, cross in hand. The demon knocked. One, two, three. Reverend, may I come in? There will be a storm tonight, and my boat is small. No, said the Reverend. Are you sure, Reverend? Even now the wind picks up, and the demon began to whistle. As he did, the breeze blew harder. Gould could hear it tear around the walls of the stone chapel, hear it rattle the windows, shake the slates, echo down the hollow spire. But he held firm. No, demon, you may not come in. Very well, said the demon, so be it, and he whistled louder. The storm blew hard across the island. In the harbour, fishing boats knocked against each other like billiard balls. Hulls scraping hard against stone. Tiles rattled and fell in the village. The swinging sign on the Gunwale Inn blew clean off its hooks and shattered on the harbour wall. At his post, in his tower, the lighthouse keeper lit a pipe and settled in for his watch. And even the witches on the moor stayed grounded. But the chapel bore the brunt of it. The winds whirled around the building, rain lashed at the walls and deafened with the tapping on the copper-covered spire. The Reverend Gould sat inside and prayed. As he did, three figures appeared. One stood in a shaft of light, coloured by the stain on the glass but shining. Another stood in gloom, set back behind the pillars. And the third seemed to rise out of the floor itself. Let us help, asked the first. Ask for help, said the second. Or you'll need it, said the third. But he could not see their faces, The reverend knew his guests, Yama, Baal, and Athen, the island trinity. You are just as much devils as he is, Gould spat. I'll ask no help of you. Now leave. This is God's house. Very well, said Yama. We will go. To hell with you. But ask yourself, once we leave, if we have so little power, if we are so very bad, how is it that we entered? when the devil outside could not. And with that, the three vanished, leaving the reverend alone with the storm. And the storm grew worse. It grew worse than any the island had ever known. And as it grew, it focused, like a stone wrapped and twisted in a cloth it tightened around the spire of the chapel, until there was no wind but at its peak. The villagers, the fishermen, even the lord himself rode out, and stood on the edge of the maelstrom, Wind and water whipping whirligig around the shining copper, and all bore witness as it fell. The fall it did. It tore from the stone tower, sheets of copper peeling like skin, flayed from a back, pulled from flesh. The iron framework beneath buckling and falling into itself like the airbox of an accordion. A rib cage with a foot put through it. Its death rattle, the sound of rivets popping. Even as it fell, the storm abated and by the time the dust had cleared, there was not even a breeze, not even a ripple on the mirrored sea. The crowd moved forwards, cautiously, worried what they would find, for they knew the Reverend had been inside. But somehow, he had survived. He still sat in his pew, ashen-faced, fingers white-knuckled around the cross, and above him, barely a foot from his head, three timbers crossed, bearing the weight of the stonework on top. A man from the crowd rushed forwards, and pulled him from his seat, and as they cleared the outer wall, the timbers broke, the pew was shattered; the damage was done as they led him away. The Reverend Gould looked out towards the bay where the demon's boat had been moored. There was nothing but wreckwood now, and the gently eddying foam of the waves. At least he is gone, thought the reverend, at least he is gone. And, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, a barn now, I, th- I think. There's one that, that lives in the graves, um, in the graveyard. Sorry, where was I? It did not take long for work to begin on the chapel repairs. The copper had been collected from its resting places, the iron reforged, the stone stacked neatly in the chapel yard. The headstones had been braced and stood tall against the wind once again but if the reverend had learnt anything and he had learned a little it was a detention perhaps should not be drawn again so when the architects asked how he wished to proceed he told them that no spire should be built just a little square tower with a cross on top the copper made its way as these things do to those that had a use for it it's said that the weather vanes that stand on the hall on the chapel, on that funny little house by the quay, all came from it. As to the rest, your guess is as good as mine. When the work was done, and the chapel once again stood whole, the reverend smiled and walked inside, locking the doors behind him. But his contentedness was short-lived. As he walked through the pews, he stopped, dead in his tracks. There was a figure sat bent-headed in the pew, a figure he had hoped not to see again. Hello, Reverend, said the demon. It's quite as nice as I'd hoped. I think I'll stay. The Reverend Gould stepped back and drew his cross, brandishing it towards the monster. How? How did you get in? I did not invite you. (laughs) No, said the demon. But there was a hole, was there not? My poor little boat was destroyed in the storm, and I saw this house was vacant. So I stepped inside and the walls came down. I stayed quiet, and now you've bricked me up, have you not? All cosy, all close, with you. Out, cried Gould. I will not have you here. He will not have you here. The demon twisted to his feet, face contorted with the grin of Pan and the fires that wait for us all. He has no choice, priest. I am here now here, I will stay. It's my house now. And with that, the demon left, climbing the stairs that led to the tower, who's clicking on the flagstones as he went. Clip-clop, clip-clop, gone. Gould sank heavy to the floor and wept, and at the window, three crows cawed and arranged their wings. One black, one white, one red. The Reverend did not sleep well that night. It was not just the movement from the tower above, though that did not help. It was that he had prayed, and God had failed him. Or worse, perhaps, he had failed his God. A devil lived within, it corrupted the very stonework, he could feel it. But though he prayed, there was no answer. As he fell into uneasy sleep, Gould prayed one last time for a sign, for help. And, for it was late, and he was tired, and he was desperate for peace. He prayed three times more and slept. He awoke at dawn, sunlight shattering through the diamond panes of his windows. He did not feel rested, he did not feel well. With dread he pushed through the curtains that divided his rooms from the church itself and walked into the nave. Sat on the altar, swinging his legs, was the demon. Good morning, priest. Are you well? he said, and jumped from his perch. Looking forward to Sunday? I am. I have so many ideas for your flock. Perhaps you'll lend me a cassock. Finding this amusing, the demon doubled over in laughter. The Reverend Gould did nothing. Come now, the demon said. This is no fun if you don't spar. Have you nothing to say? Gould stood mute in the church light. He does not, said a voice, but we do. The demon wheeled about, searching for the speaker, but there was none to be seen. Come out, damn you, he cried. Cowards! Now, now, said a voice. We'll see about that. Cuth. That is your name, is it not? Cuth. At this, the demon blanched. How? How do you know my name? We know lots of things, Kuth. We know your master. We know the power of a name. Whose should we call, do you think? Yours, or his? Kuth, for that was his name, paused and considered, and smiled. You do not know his name. You can't. No one does. And you cannot compel me to leave. Oh, we can, Kuth, and we do. We know his name, and he's coming. With that, the ground shook, and the light of the sun dimmed as if doused like a candle smothered in brass. The air grew thick and sulfurous. Gould could taste bitter oranges in his mouth. Kuth. The voice, hollow and deep, had an immediate effect on the demon, who looked about himself wildly. Master, it cannot be you. It is Kuth and you will return to me. The chapel shook once more, and thunder clapped out above, rattling the skeletons in the tombs, shaking out the cobwebs from the prayer books. Music rang out. A din of jangling chords and the steady march of some infernal player. Master, forgive me. Kuth was on his knees now. I am sorry, Lord Berlith, forgive me. With that, all noise and thunder ceased. Well now, came the voice. It seems you have done our work for us. You have called your master yourself. We can feel him. He is coming. The ground shook again. Though this time the sun did not dim, it went out. The candles in the nave lit with blue fire, and the large carved gravestone in the centre of the floor cracked and gave way. The same blue flame issued forth, and a wind blew hot and stale the music that came from deep within was that of the dead, and full-bellied with it. The voice that was heard was not booming, it was not loud. It was clarion and desolate, and it spoke only once. Hear, dog, heal. And Cuth fell down, dragged towards the stone-cracked maw of the hole, nails scraping channels in the flagstones. As he passed the reverend, he made one last desperate attempt to remain, grabbing the priest's legs, hauling himself up. Either I stay or you come with me, Cuth growled. But the Reverend paid him no mind. Three sets of arms, strong and invisible, held him tight, and though he later could not be sure, he knew he had felt a fourth embrace. Cuth was determined. Cuth was strong, but his master was stronger. Losing his grip on the Reverend, he still had one hand clutching Gould's cassock. It was holding on when the portal closed, and with a sickening tear the arm was left behind. And Gould was alone once again. No, not quite alone. As the sunlight returned and trapped him once again in the cage of light, Gould saw three mice scurry back to their homes one white, one red, one black. It's said that from that day on, Gould paid no mind to who his congregation directed their prayers to. And those that noticed these things saw that around his neck now hung the anchor cross of the island. And above his head, suspended on its chains and blackening rapidly, was the left arm of the demon Cuth. A warning to those that would follow. (laughs) The end. Now, I don't know if that's true. The arm looks real enough from here, though how it came to be here is anybody's guess. I read about another, the hand of a thief in a church overseas. There is a large and cracked flagstone in the centre of the nave, the words faded from the passing feet of worshippers, the soft salt air. And it is said that on nights when the storms lash particularly fierce, a sailor, dressed in a black overcoat and boots, can be seen on the shoreline below the chapel. The empty left arm of his jacket pinned across his chest, a pipe in his mouth and fire in his eye. And as the storm rages about him, he whistles. Many have approached him, and all report the same. He vanishes into the rain and the wind, and nothing remains. Just two cloven hoofed prints in the sand, and an echo. Clip-clop, clip-clop, gone. And there's that photo, isn't there? Anyway, the story is done, and walking home. Though I'd like your company, it's a good two hours, so I won't keep you. I hope you enjoyed it. See you soon. Oh, um, actually, before I go, I just thought I'd say... It's a bit strange. In the book that I'm reading this from, the Meliora Ray one, somebody's gone through and crossed out this name every single time it appears in the story. Two neat lines of ink, scratch, scratch. scratch. Over time, I suppose, their ink faded and the printed page did not, so I can read it. Who knows? It's a plain as day now. <laughs> right there on the page.